This is Universal Soul Love. I'm Dr. Lana Love, and this is my lovely daughter, Alexia Maygrave. Universal Soul Love, we're broadcasting live from the land down under from Australia, from BBS Radio. Universal Soul Love is a radio about universal soul love. We talk about the importance of raising the consciousness of the planet, the importance of being environmental advocates, the importance of promoting the sacred feminine and the masculine. We talk about veganism and the importance of respecting our wildlife. So we hope that you enjoy our show. Today, we're going to be talking about birth. First of all, I'd like to introduce my daughter, Alexia, who's going to be here instead of Detective David Love. Alexia is an integrative nutritional coach. Hi, my name is Alexia, everybody. I'm an integrative nutrition health coach, and my goal is to promote health, wellness, and make everybody realize the beauty of life and become the best version of themselves. I have a YouTube channel called Ahimsa Lexi. That is A-H-I-M-S-A-L-E-X-I. Please check it out. I promote health, happiness, love, and generally the beauty of life. And I'm a medical doctor. I focus on emotional health. I'm also a Buddhist, animal advocate, and we're both vegan. <laughs> so, and today's show is going to be on birth, the most important topic in the world, the beginning of life. Birth and the importance for birth to be the best quality birth that we can have. And for women to take back their sacred ability, power. Yep. And the sacredness of birth. And here with us today is our very special guest, Vanita Lott. Vanita is a certified nurse midwife who has experience with high-risk births. She is uh, certified with the American College of Nurse Midwives. She has been on TV, radio and community as a lecturer, as a seminar leader and researcher. Vanita has a website called awakeningbirthnow.com. Vanita is a transformational holistic pregnancy coach and she promotes women having been empowered with birth and having the best possible birth that they can have. Vanita, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. And Vanita, we see that, that behind you there's a very special, is it a carving of a, of a woman giving birth? It's actually a piece of pottery made by a woman okay. that I bought probably 20-something years ago. <laughs> That's beautiful. Well, it's a woman in a full squat giving birth. She has a smile on her face. I don't know if you can see that at this distance. And around it, it says, we are all giving birth to each other. That's wonderful. Vanita, I believe that you started this. You were called to midwifery at the age of 16. Yes. That's really young to be um, actually, because I, I speak from a, um, a still like a very young adult perspective. That's really young to be interested in a topic like that. Yeah, I was reading a newspaper article. I was reading it. No, it was a magazine. I don't even know what magazine it was back then. It was about nurse midwives in the Air Force, the U.S. Air Force. I'm in the United States in Northern California. Then I was actually living in New Jersey as a child. And something in me said, that's what I want to do. And I went to my high school guidance counselors and said, how do you do this? And they told me back then you had to become a registered nurse. Now there's more avenues to do it. But so it embarked me on becoming an RN and that process actually kept getting more and more involved. But anyway, yes, I did become a certified nurse midwife. And yeah, I've spent 35 years dedicated since I graduated nursing school dedicated to childbirth. So obviously it's a really important topic and a topic that is especially close to the hearts of women. And that's one of the reasons why I've got my daughter in here today. I'm so uh, thankful to be here. And it's interesting. There's three women. You're a, an expert midwife. You're also a mother and a grandmother. 
I feel like there's three generations here. It's really nice. I'm a mother. I'm also a doctor, but I'm interested very much in alternative health. And my daughter is um, very much into the alternative, um, you know, health. Very Um, much. I like, I love, uh, you know, holistic healing and the holistic approach and um, Ayurveda and all those sorts of um, ways of communicating with your body and so between all of us, we should have a very interesting talk about birth. So the birth, the, the beginning of everything that is, it's so important that we get this right. So Vanita, tell us, what are your thoughts on how where birth is today in the United States, in the Western, Western countries world, yeah. and in third world countries? What are your thoughts on this? Where should we go from here? Have we got a lot to learn? Can we make it much better? Oh, there's great room for improvement. I think we should be grateful, you know, for Western medicine and for the safety that that has brought. We all know from history, right, that women died in childbirth. I mean, they still can, of course, but that's, I've never seen in my entire career, and I worked in a lot of hospitals, I've never seen a woman die. And I'm really grateful for that. And yeah, I think we have to start being grateful for Western medicine and the safety it brought, you know. But we know that that's gotten way out of balance. It's gotten way overdone. And I've heard that my main editor actually is, she has a doctorate in science and she lives in Australia also. She told me your C-section rates are about the same as the United States. The United States yeah. is now 32%. And I found it's very that- high, isn't it? Oh, it's, it's ridiculous. It's dangerous. We have a very dangerous um, cesarean section rate. And there are countries actually with worse cesarean section rates, if you can believe that. And there are hospitals in the United States that were over 60%. You know, the range of percentages of um, cesareans in hospitals are very dramatically different. So, you know, I guess today we're interested in having a balanced perspective. And uh, it's interesting for me because I, I'm a doctor of medicine. At the same time, I'm a woman and I'm all for women being empowered. I also believe that our, um, in some ways, medicine and uh, big pharma has become out of control. And there's so much to be learned from the alternative traditional practices. And so it's an area of concern, but I do believe that, that it, it's important to have a balance. As you said, childbirth traditionally in the world has resulted in very high death rates. At the same time, it's concerning to know that there's, um, I believe, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the US has got quite a high statistic of, uh, of deaths, maternal deaths in the world, which it shouldn't be like that. We were watching videos last night about, uh, you know, natural birthing and the, just the birthing process in general. And there was something mentioned about uh, the US, the death rates in the US are actually higher than they were 50 years ago, which is quite concerning. Oh my God. The infant mortality rate has been rising since I began my career. We are now like 25th, 26th in the world. So there's 25, 26 other countries in the world that have better infant mortality rates than the United States. Our so mortality- that's really concerning. But considering that we think that the US and Australia and the, the big, you know, uh, Western co- like communities should be so advanced in their technologies and all of that. What's like happening? Why, why is it like this? Well, also the maternal mortality rate in the United States has been continuing to rise to me, the if you take, um, they're, they're actually different. To me, the problem with the cesarean section rates is that we are too technologically focused, right? We have really lost great balance. And I wrote in one of my 
blogs that technology does not equal science. And a lot of, I think in our minds, people think if you're in a fancy hospital and there's a lot of equipment and the more equipment there is, the safer and the more scientific it is. The use of technology in the United States is clearly not scientific. We have, let me give first the overview. So we've got, that's a really big problem. And and the medical model is obviously been way too skewed and is not working with childbirth. The infant mortality rate is actually similar because one of the reasons for the high infant mortality rate is our high rate of preterm births. The U.S. also has very distressing preterm labor rates, preterm delivery rates. And that is obviously, there's a lot of factors that go into that. But again, it's, there's too much focus on technology. Like whenever I go to preterm labor seminars, they're always like talking about the latest tests. People always want to focus on stuff or the monitors, these new monitors or whatever, they always want to focus on machines where people can sell them and make money. What I've learned as a midwife, if you want to improve preterm labor, and I work currently as a prenatal care provider, I take care of the highest risk women in the county. And we focus on helping women decrease their stress, eating better, If she's a victim of domestic violence, helping her to deal with that, right? It's a very holistic approach. And we need Mm -hmm. more of that because to just, you know, do tests and not ask a woman about her life or figure out that she's severely dehydrated or that she's a total sugar addict or caffeine addict, you know, we have to stop just dealing with people like they're machines and take their blood pressure. And that only one part can be fixed instead of the whole approach. Exactly. And that's why I'm so big, like you all are into holistic medicine. So to me, there's no way to get the preterm labor rates down without addressing people as whole human beings, which midwives tend to do. So midwives are known to get the C-section rates down. Midwives are known to... um, you know, really provide holistic care. The other thing involved with the high infant mortality rates, I was reading this detailed scientific analysis of it, and is that we're not doing enough home care after births, right? There's nobody going into the home after births to help solve problems, really figure out what's going on. And I love, I've given birth, I've delivered babies in hospitals and I've delivered babies in in a birth center and at home but I'm most well known here for the home birth practice. And I was just shocked by how differently I knew people. I thought I knew people in these long visits in my office, but I would go in their home and have a totally different impression of them. I would see them in their own environment. So we know we need more nurses and midwives as they do in some countries going into the home and actually doing baby checks because the infant mortality rate is up to one year. The maternal mortality, and there's also a lot of prejudice. Actually, racism is a big cause of the maternal and the infant mortality rates. The stress that women are going through, um, especially Black women who have higher infant and maternal mortality rates. So to me, the C-section thing is actually kind of a separate thing than the infant and the maternal mortality rates in some ways. So, I mean, obviously dealing with racism is a huge topic, but we know Black women have double the infant mortality and they have more maternal mortality. And there seems to be some pretty significant prejudices with women when they go for health care, maybe not listening to them. Mm. Um, but 
to me, the solution to those two topics, we also need national, well, actually for all these topics, we need national health care. The U.S. is the only civilized nation that doesn't have national health care. And that is driven a lot by big business. This is my little speech I'm giving in a clinic just to <laughs> is I say, do you know why we don't have national health care? And they say, why? And I said, here, it's big business. Let me tell you two examples. In 2015 in the United States, there was a female CEO of who was a health, the CEO of a healthcare administration thing that administered Medicare and Medicaid. And she made total compensations, including her stock options. She made $55 million in 2015, which is kind of mind-boggling, right? Yeah. And then there was a CEO of a pharmaceutical company in the U.S. in 2016 who made $60 million. So I think big business is one of the driving forces that puts out a lot of misinformation about um, national health care to keep this going. That's, that's interesting, isn't it? And that's such a shame because we want to be more individuals focused. We want to be more spiritual. A lot of, certainly a lot of our listeners are all very spiritually based. And it's just such a shame that big business can detract from that, especially in a country like the US, where you would expect that there'd be much more focus on the, the rights of the individual and the quality of life of the individual. And the quality of the birth in general. That's like right. I know for me, I cannot picture giving birth in a hospital. Like there is no way that I'm going to have people that I don't know, like coming in and out, asking me to spread my legs and like check me when I'm, when I don't have consent to do that. Like it's almost paradoxical because it's such a beautiful event that's happening and a milestone in your life. Yet the place that you're doing it in, the people that surround you, if they're not meeting your relationships, your lifestyle level and your lifestyle practices and not working with you, then it's just, it's a very paradoxical event that that's going to occur. Well, let's, let's talk about that because there's a really interesting contentious issue. And I guess something I'd like to say is that people are individual. And I guess what's right is what's right for the individual. Now, as a doctor, I actually feel much more, I do feel at home in a hospital. I have no problem with the hospital environment. Obviously, home is more homely. I chose to have a cesarean with Alexia because she was a breach. Instead of being head down, she was feet down. And uh, I, I guess I was influenced by the study in the Netherlands, which was in, uh, I believe, in 2000, which seemed to suggest that uh, very strongly that um, C-sections did carry a higher mortality rate. So even though I really wanted a vaginal birth and that was With your me, second birth? No, with you. I wanted to have a natural birth and that was, to me, a rite of passage as a woman. Now, my male obstetrician looked at me, why would you want a natural birth? It hurts. But at that time... I really wanted that. And I was very disappointed that my baby was a breach. But I made the decision to have a Caesar because I believed that that would be in my baby's best interest to reduce the likelihood of head injury for her. And here she is healthy. But obviously, there are, there are drawbacks. My understanding is that, you know, with a C-section, you're not as likely to have as much milk production. And, and that occurred with me. Yeah. Um, and as well, the uh, the lack of diversity with the microbiome because the- Can you explain to our listeners what a microbiome yeah, is? Yeah, so microbiome is pretty much the diversity in uh, bacteria that you, like bacteria that you have in our body. We have over like, we have more bacteria in our body than we do cells. And 
a lot of studies show that in Western culture versus, um, you know, third world countries, that the third world children have a lot more diversity in the microbiome rather than Western civilization. And this is a big, like C-sections, when you look at cesarean adults, their microbiome is not going to be as diverse as a baby that had through a vaginal birth. And I was sick a lot as a child. I don't know whether this these two add up, but you know, I think a number of different factors influence this, but I definitely think that because I was a However, you had no head injury. You're very intelligent. Yeah, no, I know that. (laughs) And we do know the babies do get stuck. So uh, they need to tell us what's your opinion about this. Well, you said that she was your first child, right? Mm -hmm. So see, to me, you were empowered because you were given information and you made a decision, right? You made I did make a decision though, according to that study. And I've now read that that study might be flawed. Well, but we know that you said she was feet first, right? So footling breaches where a baby's feet are coming first, they are the most dangerous of the breaches. We know that. I mean, I've seen footling breech babies be born vaginally, right? She might have been okay, but the risks are higher. So in your case, to me, it's like, great, someone gave you information and and you made a decision. You didn't know about the microbiome issues back then because that's newer stuff. But we do know that babies born by cesareans, this was in the New England Journal of Medicine, they're having more asthma, These, and they think this is all um, immune-related from the lack of the microbiome. Well, they're getting a different microbiome, right? They're not being inoculated with their mother's bacteria from the vagina. They're being inoculated with the hospital, the staff um, bacteria. <laughs> so we know that babies with C-sections have more asthma, more allergies. I don't know what what issues you had while well, you said you were studying no asthma. Yeah, no asthma. Yeah. Um, I, I was just, uh, my immune system wasn't functioning at optimum level when I was a child. Yeah, it could have been from a C-section. We'll probably never know. But we know they yeah. have more asthma. They have more allergies. They have more autoimmune problems. They have more type 1 diabetes, which has an autoimmune component to it. So I mean, it's concerning to do one without good cause. And there's, we know that more than half of them in the United States are happening without good cause. There's a hospital up here called Sutter Davis Hospital, which was actually the hospital where I did my internship as a student midwife. And I perp, it's like 75 miles away. But I went there because I was so excited because it's such a, it's a national model nurse midwife service there. They have the lowest C-section rates in California. They have the mm-hmm. lowest C-section rate. It's 12%. Wow. So we got 32% rate. They come in at 12% and they are dealing with, they have a lot of white middle upper class people. They're in Davis, California. They also have these clinics that funnel people into Sutter Davis Hospital where they have a lot of nurse midwives and leading edge obstetricians who are all midwife champions and vaginal birth champions. And they have these, they take some of the highest risk women, the Mexican immigrants and stuff from these clinics and funnel them in there. So we can't say it's socioeconomic status. Actually, a lot of the C-sections are happening to the more affluent women. Well, I guess, uh, I guess a lot of women might not want to go through the pain of birth. And I guess to give a little bit of my um, experience, my, my second child, I really wanted to have a vaginal birth and she got it right. She was head down. <laughs> she got it right. <laughs> so, so I had a trial of labour 
And I must say that you know, I was very much of a proponent of, you know, not using pain. And, and certainly with Alexia, I didn't use much pain relief. It got a bit difficult, but I, you know, I thought, I won't use any pain relief with my second child. I went to various uh, classes that taught me how to, you know, overcome pain, how to breathe properly, how to put on music, how to put on the aromatherapy. And I was absolutely focused on having a normal vaginal birth. Well, I can tell you, and I didn't think pain would be a problem. Well, after seven hours, I had enough of it. Now, obviously, one of the problems with having a Caesar is you can have scarring on the uterus, which makes it harder for you to have a vaginal birth with the second child, even if the second child has a normal head down position. And that seems to be what happened with me. The pain was unbelievable. <laughs> I have never been through such pain before. And, and it's like you're stuck. You realize that you are stuck in this mortal coil. You're in a situation where your baby has to come out. And if your baby doesn't come out, you and your baby are going to die. And I was so grateful at that time for Western medicine. So all the breathing exercises, all the music, all the lovely aromatherapy in the end did not help me. I must say though, the experience I have listening to the beautiful music of this wonderful Celtic singer, I felt in my pain, I felt spiritually connected to all the women historically throughout time that had been in labor, that had had problems or maybe had died. I felt at one with the pain and the distress and the potential trauma that women had through childbirth. Because even though childbirth is a very natural thing, it is a traumatic process that can result in a high rate of deaths. So that was my experience. So I was screaming for an epidural. And of course, the epidural didn't quite go right. I only got half of my half of the epidural working on one part of my body. The other half wasn't. So I was really wanting the epidural at that stage. And then after my experience, I thought, why the hell did I want to go, go through pain? That was so traumatic. So, you know, I have mixed feelings about it. I still feel that in some ways I missed out on not having a vaginal birth. With my second child, because I had a trial of labor, my breast milk flowed much more. And my, my second child, she was on my breast till the age of two. She wouldn't get off. Five. It was on five. Till the age of five. So it was very different. But um, pain, there's something to be said for pain relief. <laughs> so, so those were my experiences. Well, let's talk, let's talk about pain, you know. Yeah. Mm. There's all this stuff about or. You know, you've probably maybe even seen the film Orgasmic Birth and there's the book. Yeah, yeah I've heard about mm-hmm. that. That really interests me, actually. Um, yeah. And especially for me, for pain relief, there is no way that I will get an epidural because that leaks into the baby. Like I know when I choose to give birth, I'm going to be fully raw vegan diet. Like nothing, no chemicals on my skin. No, nothing. Like even taking a Panadol could potentially leach into my child. And, and for me, that's almost toxic to the child. So so I really respect your view <laughs> and I really hope you have a wonderful natural birth. However, having gone through pain, I can tell a lot of women will say, bring on the epidural. <laughs> you know, listening to you though, Lana, and, and I mean, I don't say this to a lot of people, actually, I haven't thought about it that much, but considering the work that you're doing as a spiritual being, and the, what you were saying, you were tapped into all these women who had, you know, died in the past and that loss and stuff. It makes me think you were maybe channeling something, 
you know, that wasn't really just your experience, you know? Well, maybe. And I guess, I guess I must say that experience, I'm thankful for not that experience having ended because the pain, the pain was quite intense, but I guess that experience was, you know, it was a learning experience for me to be connected with the pain and the the situation of women throughout history. That was, I guess it was special, even though it was quite dramatic. Because I want to challenge your belief because you said birth is traumatic and I don't think it's inherently traumatic because I've seen tremendous, like absolutely stunningly beautiful births and things like that. So I don't think it's, I think it always has the potential to be traumatic. I guess that's what I mean. It can be traumatic. I've been around traumatic births. I've been around women who've had traumatic births with me there. I've had all sorts of stuff, right? But I don't think it's inherently traumatic. And I think that's a good thing to kind of stress. But let's talk about the female pain body, because I think that's really important. There's tremendous unresolved pain in the collective unconsciousness. And and let's just talk about the female collective unconsciousness. So a friend of mine was telling me that I actually want to put this up on my website because she's a healer of of a really high level. And she told me that when she was pregnant with her, I think her third child, she got really sick and she wouldn't take Western medicine. She was really sick for like two months with some sort of respiratory thing. And then she went to a healer and the healer said to her, oh, you're channeling the pain of like all the people who had died in the tsunami in India, Thailand, that whole area then back then. And, but you've taken it on unconsciously right? And so you have no way to process it. And you have to decide whether you want to take this on consciously or not. And she decided she would take it on consciously. I think she was like seven months pregnant. And she said within 24 hours, it went away. So I think that the female pain body is with all the rapes, like we have the whole Me Too movement going on and stuff like that. The rapes, the loss of children, the deaths, the Prejudice women are still going through. I go through a lot of prejudice as a midwife. I have to deal with prejudice as a midwife in the medical system all the time. But um, I think that all builds up and prevents the proper functioning of the human body. Yeah, I 100% agree. And especially if like pain, it's it's not just going to come from a physical point. Uh, you can have a, a lot of pain and physical symptoms from mental uh, traumas that you've had and not worked through in the past. I know that uh, when I had a recent Kundalini awakening and Kundalini experience, I was throwing up like there was no tomorrow for about two weeks. And um, I went through it consciously. I was um, at one point, I was like on the ground in the fetal position, like almost like moaning like a birthing woman because I felt like I was giving birth to myself, you know, like a new, if you know, anybody knows about Kundalini awakening, it's, um, you know, a complete let go of ego and a complete rebirth of yourself. And there was one point where I was on the ground, like in a child, sorry, child's position, completely like moaning like a birthing woman as if I was giving birth to myself. And, you know, that manifested in the physical in a way that I was throwing up. So if a woman hasn't got all aspects of her life, like if you look at it from a holistic point, if you haven't got all aspects of your life worked out, if something's missing, if there was a traumatic experience that happened when you were seven years old and it's holding in your sacral chakra and you haven't actually worked through that yet, it can manifest it like itself as pain within your childbirth. So it's not just physical pain. You have to look at all aspects of it. 
Yes, in our medical system, I think that's a real area for growth in our medical system. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, we're having this conversation. I love it. But like, I don't have this conversation professionally very much. Because it's not seen as a professional topic. It's seen as, you know, hocus pocus in a way. So I guess what we're saying is that pain can be a very important and enlightening experience. And there are different ways to process pain. Mm -hmm. Well, I think one thing, and I wrote about this, is the hospitals are set up to make it more stressful. Unless you have, we could make the hospital setting to be much more like a home birth. I wrote about one of my favorite births on my blog, right? And it happened to be a home birth because I experienced more intimacy and beauty with the home births than I did with any hospital birth ever except for one that I can think of. But yeah, I think we have to really take into account that to put women in an institutional environment with strangers surrounded by beeping machinery, people running around. Like when I was home with people, like I naturally went into a meditative state, right? There I was, I was in their home. I would be quiet. I'd be very tuned in to what was happening, right? I would deal with things on a much more subtle level. Like it was a whole different ball game. When I was working, say as a nurse, which was actually kind of the worst in, the, in a hospital setting, you're like, okay, I have to take care of this woman, have to take care of that one, have to chart this stuff down. Oh my God, I have to deal with this computer. The phone's ringing. I have to enter those leads. Oh, there's technical problems. Oh, I have to go deal with this. I mean, I was not in a meditative state as a nurse often, right? I was like running around like a chicken with my head cut off and you could go into the labor room and it's not that it's not possible. You know, I always say the bottom line for me, I don't care where you are, that love is present, that is more important than the setting. That love is present. And Alexia, just I'm going to just say something to you. Just I hear you really want to have a natural birth. I Yeah, more than anything. But whenever I heard people talk the way you were talking, I always tried to get them to be more um, not so hurrah about it. Because to me, people who had... That attitude, a lot of times we wound up in a hospital setting because I felt like there had to be healing to be balanced. So mm. I would try to get you to be more like, I'd really like a natural birth, but I'm going to use Western medicine if I need to. Oh, well, 100%. I, I guess flexibility is the issue. We can't, I, I think it's really important in the whole birth scenario for women to be empowered, for them to be informed. But at the end of the day, We've got our bodies. And you've got, got the babies. Baby. Sometimes things don't go according to plan. So that flexibility option is important. Equally, though, I would like to see many more birthing centres closer to the hospitals, birthing centres where both the woman and, as you say, the staff can be more relaxed because you make a very interesting point. It's not just the women who are stressed in that setting. It's the staff as well. And it's the interaction between the woman and the staff and perhaps all the family members that is important. I remember that I was only allowed what, you know, my husband in. For some reason, my mother wasn't allowed in. And I was quite appalled by that. And we were just, you know, looking at a video yesterday about the importance of, as you say, love and relaxation and having the people around you to relax all the muscles or the physiological muscles to allow birth to happen. And in the video that we were looking at, the midwives with a natural birth, 
for this woman who was not sort of um, dilating as, as fast as she should be, the midwife suggested that she have intimate moments with her husband, that he kiss her, that he do some, you know, clitoral massages, and all that worked. And that that's not possible in a hospital setting. And physiologically, just so for your listeners, the reason it works is because that helps release more what we call synthetically pitocin, but natural oxytocin. Mm. Right? So... Yeah, see, there's a lot of tricks of the trade. It's hard to do yeah. stuff like that. Was that happening in a hospital setting or a home? No, no, that was a that was at a home birth setting where um, they she had like friends and family around, but then everyone left the room, and so her um, her partner and her were able to be more intimate. You can't do that in a hospital. It's see, I've never seen that happen mm. in a hospital setting, and um, the it just it was always amazing to me to see how different women were in in a home birth it was like a totally different animal it was a total i saw women do stuff that i never saw before that birth that i talk about on my blog it's called marina's triumphant birth she's the only woman i was so shocked by this and i had had so much experience with hospital births but after her for it was her first baby after her first baby was born she was actually leaned over. She was standing and she was leaning over with her forearms on her husband's thighs. And they had a really beautiful relationship. And I received the baby from behind her. And she was tall and a redhead too. So it had this drama to it. But she stood up <laughs> and I passed the baby. And she'd been in labor a long time. I passed the baby between her legs. She reached down. She picked the baby up. She tucked the baby in her left arm. She looked at the baby. She was just awestruck, right? Because she finally had given birth after this long process. She looked at her baby and she's, here's this tall redhead standing up and she went, that was great. That was great. That was great. I had never seen anything like that in um, a hospital setting in all my career. And it was things like that because the home birth was challenging for me personally, being on call. I was a solo midwife on private practice, but stuff like that kept me going. Or I would start thinking, oh, it's not so bad. The hospitals aren't so bad, right? And then I would go transport someone. And I was always grateful to have a place to transport people. But um, I would transport someone and all six of the women were cesareans. Like, you know, you'd be like, they're all post-cesarean. You have got to be kidding me. You know, like, what is going on here? So I'd be reminded. And then I kind of still go into this thing of it can't be that bad. But the C-section rate's just gotten, it's come down. People say, oh, we've had improvement. It went from 32.9 to 32%. I'm like, yes, that's improvement. It's not a lot though. Yeah. <laughs> Let's keep. And I think what a really important point to make is that the American College of Obstetricians, well, they actually call themselves now the American Congress of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, they wrote that um, they know that trying to change obstetricians' attitudes is going to be, they say, challenging. And they've shown, I just saw a thing where they said if they push physicians, like with their C-section rates and show them their rates, they drop for a while. But as soon as they let up, they go back up. And do you have a show called Grey's Anatomy? Do you see? Yes, we do. Did you see the recent? They, as soon as I launched my website, they came out with a, an episode 
showing physicians doing C-sections for their own personal reasons. And the statistic from the CD, do you know the CDC? It's a U.S. thing, the Center for Disease Control. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In the United States. Mm -hmm. I was reading their statistics and this blew my mind. In the United States today, in the hospitals, because 98.5% of babies are born in hospitals, babies are born between nine and five on Monday through Friday in the hospital setting, the majority. Surprise, surprise. I wonder why. <laughs> in home, in out of hospital births, birth centers, home births, where usually inductions are not very common. If you're doing an induction out of hospital, you're probably doing it with herbs, stuff like that. Guess what times babies were born? Probably two o'clock in the morning. Yep. The middle of the night, between one and mm. five in the morning. So yeah. That's how much we have interfered and altered with the process. I mean, that babies were designed to be born more at night. There's probably a physiologic advantage to that, mm. hormonal advantage to that. I mean, another thing that's really big for me is that when you come out of cesarean, you have absolutely no clue what your astrology sign is. <laughs> and that is a very, very big thing for me because I feel so connected to the moon and to the stars and to the planets. And and for me, if anybody's like researched astrology, it's... um. It's really, it's a sacred thing. And I think it really messes with a lot of people's astrological, um, like science. And I mean, that's a big thing for me. I've been trying to track down my exact date of birth. Well, Alexa wants to know exactly when she was born. I think she was born after four o'clock, but (laughs) you were so drugged out. Because I was drugged out. I can't quite remember what time it was. So apparently this has stuffed up your ability to (laughs) know what astrological sign you are. But isn't that on your birth certificate, Alexi? No, it's not. Um, not in Australia. Not in Australia. No. We, we could try to get the hospital records. We should be able to do that through privacy. They because they record that, like in the US, like that's a big deal. The hospital staff, right. but any birth you try, I mean, sometimes you're preoccupied, but the time's pretty close usually. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So in Australia, they don't record it. So but we'll, we'll try to amend that. <laughs> so look, you know, obviously the, the patriarchy and the medical system has really gotten a bit out of hand, even though obviously we do need medicine to reduce the, you know, the various complications. I'm just wondering, to what would you suggest for our listeners out there, those women that are planning to get pregnant, partners of women who are planning to have a, a baby, what would you suggest? What is the best way to go about to be able to have a quality birth and be as informed as you can be? You know, I mean, it's interesting to me, like 35 years ago when I first started practicing in hospitals, I was like, I'd had a baby at home already, right? I had one baby in a hospital with a nurse midwife. And I'd had one baby at home. So I had the advantage. I was looking at everything from an outer, like a more objective point of view, right? And um, the first year, I mean, the stuff I was watching, I thought was absolutely insane. A lot of stuff I saw. And I thought then, like, someone has to go and tell the women. This is 35 years ago. Someone has to tell the women what's going on. Here, I'm only doing that in a public way 35, 35 years later. It's kind of amazing to me. But this is supposedly called the year of the woman, the year of the goddess, you know, and I think women have to start using their voices, right, which I had to work through a lot of stuff, actually, to come out and do this work professionally, 
you know, medics, some medical people take it as me betraying, you know, the medical profession or whatever. But I think women have to start using their voices, asking questions, um, doing their own research, being willing to go back and have really uncomfortable moments, because obviously there's a lot of over-medicalization going on in your country also. If you need to research your hospitals, you have to find the hospital with the lowest cesarean section rates. You have to know the dangers of cesarean section. It's very disturbing to me that people act like a C-section must be some little procedure. They do not. They can go to my website because a lot of um, work went into outlining all the risks, well, most of the risks for the mother and the baby. Um, Obviously, it's, it's abdominal surgery, so it carries with it the risk of any surgery and infection rates. Oh my God, like we're bankrupting the United States with the way we're handling maternity care. We're wasting so much money. And then the women with C-sections have so much more complications and then they're re-hospitalized. And what this is doing to mother-baby, but again, if it was a necessary cesarean, like great, right? You saved her life. You saved the baby's life. You know, it's worth it. But people have to understand the risks and not be just saying, oh, it's a C-section, it's no big deal. Because people, I love when the people say, I don't want to be in pain. I'm like, you're, you're changing pain and labor for pain afterwards. You are going to be in severe pain afterwards and need, you're going to need narcotics or, you know, IV drip machine. We call them PCAs, you know, in the United States. You're going to need, you're going to be on narcotics, right? So we're women in a natural birth They're going through this intense process. And then there's that miraculous moment where all that intensity and discomfort changes into, can, has the potential to change into this wondrous, awe-inspiring wonder and joy in a really intense way. You have to realize that you're not going to get that with a cesarean. It's a totally different process. And you're going to be struggling with your own recovery. And that affects child infant bonding. I mean, it has to interfere to some level, not that it can't be fixed or it can't be addressed. And again, if a C-section was life-saving, it's worth it, but they have more breasts. You talked about your breast milk, right? Mm-hmm. Women, um, a baby, you lose that golden hour of breastfeeding. It didn't, it interferes. Having a doula, do you have doulas in the, I don't know. I haven't that. heard of the, the word doula, but we were researching last night and we 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 found um, that doulas, I understand, are sup- women, extra women that you can have for support throughout the birth process. And after as well. And after, is that right? Yeah, they're not clinicians, right? Like as a nurse mm-hmm. midwife, I'm making medical and midwifery decisions and stuff dealing with postpartum bleeding. And, you know, we're, we're clinicians. Doulas are there as support people, but we know that if you have, there's a lot of research about this. If you have a woman who's a very inexperienced woman who has a positive attitude towards birth, stay with a woman all throughout labor, continuous support all throughout labor, their pain is much less, right? Mm -hmm. And um, the outcomes are much better. But see, we have in this patriarchal technological, what they call a technocratic system, we have this bias towards machinery and pharmaceuticals and epidurals where if you have a, I think a birthing tub, every woman having her first baby should have access to birthing tubs, mm-hmm. to, to doulas, right? Because if we set the environment up right, much 
many fewer women are going to need epidurals. People forget that epidurals are a major procedure, right? Mm. And they alter, I'm going to just say this because so many people don't know this and I've seen it a lot. When women have an epidural, well, first of all, they can't push. They cannot push normally. So to give women a medication that where they cannot push is like, it's a kind of an interesting thing to do to someone, right? <laughs> and then we talk about ligament and pelvic damage. Well, I'd like to see someone study. I think the women with epidurals probably have much more pelvic damage than women who don't. Because if you see the way women with epidurals have to strain and people have to tell them to push because they can't feel what's going on, I suspect there's more pelvic damage with them, but that's never really been studied. But another phenomena that happens a lot, and I've seen this over and over again, and the people in the room, the family usually doesn't even put this together. When you give a woman an epidural, you're causing chemical, you're causing her to relax chemically. Um, you're interfering, right? You're changing her nervous system. So women tend to relax and their blood pressures, this is so common, their blood pressures drop. And then when their blood pressures drop, what happens to the baby's blood pressure? Mm, drops too. Blood pressure to the baby drops. The baby's mm. heart rate plummets. Right now we have an obstetrical emergency in the hospital, and the families don't even realize this is caused by the epidural. Right? They think they're the, the dreaded obstetrical emergency is happening, and I've never seen anyone tell them it was from the epidural either. And so yeah. the baby's heart rate drops, and then. You, all the nurses rush in, right? We turn the woman on her side. We open the IV. We put oxygen on her face. People start talking about C-sections. Anesthesias call back in. They give her an injection of adrenaline. To, anyway, it is, it is something to watch. And though I think epidurals are great, I've transported women with home births and said, look, we need epidurals. To be doing these risky procedures when you could be using a bathtub, you could be using doulas first. I think makes a lot more sense. Well, this has been so informative, Vanita. And uh, thank you so much for giving us this uh, vital information. Women really do have to be more informed. With the internet, I think that's very much possible. And I would very much uh, suggest to our listeners to look at your wonderful website, which is so informative, wonderfully colourful, awakeningbirthnow.com. So women really need to get empowered. They need to be informed. If necessary, medical intervention is important, but there are so many other alternatives. This has been so amazing. And I'd like to say, finish off with a comment that I read by a jeweler that a woman, as long as she lives, will remember how she was made to feel at her birth. And that's really important. The whole of um, the quality of birth is very important. So thank you very much for sharing this vital information for women, for birth, the start of life. It's been wonderful talking to you. Yeah. And uh, this is Dr. Lina Love and uh, Alexia Mayberry from Universal Soul Love. And thank from Ahimsa Lexi on YouTube. And thank you very much for listening. And big love to you all. Big universal love to you now. Bye for now. Bye-bye. The Universal Soul Love Show.